Well, this is our second or third week now in, in the Psalms for the summer. I love our summertime in the Psalms. And we're in Psalm 25, and I did part of it last week. And I think I mentioned I intended to do all of it in one week. But as I got through, I just realized, man, we just need to take time to go through this Psalm. And it calls us to wait upon the Lord. So and I was going to rush through it. And I thought, no, I need to just walk through this and wait upon the Lord um, and walk through this slowly. So we'll... We'll dig in again, and we'll look at the second part of Psalm 25. We'll begin in verse 8. Last week, if you were here, I shared a a story about in college and a camping trip and using a new GPS device, how it got us into the right place, but then got us out to the wrong parking lot, and it's kind of a mess. Um, It it reminded me uh, of another time where, um, yeah, just just another kind of running around after... Um, this elusive phone that I'd lost. And we were in East Asia, serving there. And there's one day where I, I just I couldn't find my phone. So I was looking around the apartment, couldn't find it. And I went on my phone. If you have an iPhone, you can do this find my phone kind of thing. And you can bing it. So it bings. I'm like, oh, well, I'll be able to hear it and find it. It's probably in a couch cushion. And so I do that, and I don't hear it anywhere. I'm like, oh, great. Um, it's somewhere else out and about. And I look on my little find my phone thing, and it's like, oh, my goodness, it's in the market that's just near us. And I'm like, oh, gracious, I'm never going to find this thing. So if you remember, we lived on the 26th floor, so we took that elevator down, and I ran out to the market. And I got to the market. I'm looking where it is. I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's a couple blocks away. And I ran. I'm running through town, this this um, foreigner guy running through town. Everyone's like, what's he running for? Um, and so I get to the next spot where I think it is, and then, oh my goodness, it's moved again. I run over there, and, and then it seems to kind of settle in one area, and it's, uh, there's a, a, like an apartment complex. They're not huge, tall ones like we lived in, but maybe like four four stories or so, and a whole bunch of them, and I'm calling it, and I'm listening, like, where's this at? It's got to be around here, and then, and then I was a little bit out of my head, I guess, worried about this phone, really out of my head about it, and I was like, I'm going to go talk to the police, so I go to the, our local police station, and the Y-Gore and the foreigner comes in, and they're like, what does he want, and I'm telling him my phone, showing him, they're like, sorry, <laughs> I don't know what you want us to do, and so, so that was really um, embarrassing and, de- and, and humiliating a little bit. It's, oh, and I'm like, I'm done. I just give up. I gave up, and I walk home, and I go into our apartment and go up. And, and um, one of our, I don't remember, maybe two of the kids were taking a nap, and they were in the bedroom, and the fan was on, and they were taking a nap. And they, they opened the door, and they came out, and I start hearing, bing, 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 bing. And our, my, my phone, the whole time, was in our apartment, in the room where um, our kids were, were sleeping. I don't know how they, they slept through all that binging and phone ringing. But I ran all over the city like a crazy person, looking for the phone, going to the police even. And they just looked at me like, this foreigner kid, I don't know what he's doing. Um, but I, th- I think in Asia, they, they shift the GPS signals a little bit, so you can't, if you're using a foreign, there's a little bit of shifting going on. And Anyway, all that... Um, there's times, though, where we're a little bit that, like that in life where we're just running like crazy, looking for, okay, how, where, where do I anchor my hope? Or where do I anchor truth? And we could be running around from this to that all around this world just trying to find an anchoring of truth. And we need and we have this word that even in Psalm 25, one of the huge things in it that we studied last week was verse 4 through 5. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. 
For you are the God of my salvation. For I wait on you all day long. And he's the hope that we need to go to, not running all about trying to find truth in all sorts of places or finding refuge, finding hope in this being like that crazy foreigner running around that town looking for a phone that was in my apartment. Sometimes that's how it is. God, we have a God who is near to us and calls us um, to himself. And in the Psalms throughout, we hear these words of truth that call us to him. So let's continue. And in this psalm, we, last week we studied three things. There's this personal cry to God, first, in whom we can trust and find hope. Then there was this penitent prayer, this prayer of asking for the forgiveness of God. A penitent prayer to God to lead us in his way and teach us his truth. And then there was, a, oh, I'm sorry, a patient prayer to, to God to lead us. I can't read my handwriting very well here. Sorry about that. And then a penitent prayer. Um, that leans on the character of God. We saw all those things as we walked through the passage last week. And today we're going to dig through and keep walking through Psalm. Um, I kind of almost wanted to break it up into three weeks, but we're going to get through it today, okay? So eight verses 8 through 10, we have this praise-filled prayer rooted in the attributes and the acts of our God. 8 through 10. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. So we see these characters, these things about who God is. And he talks about how God is good and God is upright. He is just. And if you remember just a couple verses earlier that we studied last week, a couple other words that really describe God, and I think we, we need to pull those in as well. In verse 6, it speaks about the mercy of God. And if you remember how that mercy, that word in the Hebrew, it's rooted in a word that is connected with that of womb. Um, so it's the idea of a compassion, compassion of a mother to a child, this mercy that we have of God. And then the steadfast love of God. And we use a definition from Paul Miller from his book, A Loving Life, and how it's that Hebrew word hesed that doesn't really have a great English translation. It just incorporates more than we could ever pack in in English. And um, it's that steadfast love. It's that um, one that's a stubborn love that has no exit plan, and it's full of mercy as well. So we have this mercy and this steadfast love, and then it says that God is good and he's upright, he is just. Um, so sometimes you think, well, how do we reconcile both the justice of God and the mercy of God, his steadfast love and his uprightness? And we see that those are come together in some of the things we've sung about already this morning, about the cross of Jesus Christ. We see the mercy of our God and the justice of our God come together and reconcile through the life of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross for us and his resurrection. James Montgomery Boyce, some of you might be familiar with him and his preaching. One of his commentaries, he says it this way. I found this really helpful. His death satisfied the justice of God. Jesus' death, it satisfied that justice of God completely, allowing him to forget about our sins and thus reach out to save us graciously. So the justice of God satisfied completely. He can set our, side, our sins aside that he can then save us graciously. So we see that grace. 
that mercy of our God and the justice of our God mingled together. And then in that commentary, James Montgomery Boyce, he goes on to, to tell a story from another preacher of old, one who was a preacher at the Moody um, Church in Chicago in the early 1900s. It was Harry Ironside. And with a name like Harry Ironside, how could you not want to know a little bit more about it? My last name's Harry, so I like that. Ironside, that's cool. So it's like I got to dig in a little bit. So I, I tracked down. He had an illustration, but I tracked it down from Harry Ironside and his commentary on this psalm. And he tells this story of someone in his church that was in almost in their 90s, um, but they were on, on their deathbed. And they called Harry Ironside to to come and speak with him. And the man said to Harry, he said, everything seems so dark. And Ironside asked, well, what do you mean? Uh, you know, you've known the Lord for nearly 70 years and you've lived for him a long, long time. You've helped him. What do you mean dark? And the man replied, in my illness, since I've been lying here so weak, my memory keeps bringing up the sins of my youth. And I cannot get them out of my mind. They keep crowding in upon me and I cannot help think of them. They make me feel miserable and wretched. And Ironside turned, then he turned to this psalm. He turned to this psalm of David, Psalm 25. And he looked at verse 7. He said, remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are, for you are good, O Lord. And it, when he read these words, he said, when you came... To God, 70 years ago, you confessed your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Do you remember what happened then? The old man, he couldn't remember. And Ironside, he he says, don't you remember that when you confess your sins to God, your sins and your iniquities will be remembered no more. If God has forgotten them, why should you think about them? And then the man relaxed and he replied, I am an old fool remembering what God has forgotten. And then he found just peace um, in the nature and the character of God. And sometimes we, we do that. We, if we have turned to Jesus Christ and trusted in him and, and his sin, our sins have been placed upon him and his righteousness upon us graciously saved that we don't have to linger on the things that God has forgotten, the sins of our past. So we have a good and righteous God who's merciful. And out of his goodness and his uprightness, then it says that instructs sinners in the way, in their way. So we have a God who is such that he leads us, he guides us. And he leads us in a good, life-giving, life-flourishing path. It's a path, verse 10, it says it's a path full of steadfast love and faithfulness. It's a good route to walk down. And he leads us in it. He calls sinners to that. He calls all of us into that path. He doesn't leave us in our sin and our destruction in that darkness, but calls us out of that. And he has given us his word to speak truth into us. And he's given us Jesus Christ, his son, who was one who entered in and lived the life that, that we could never live and died in our place. And he spoke the truth of God in the gospel. And he rescued us through his resur- death and resurrection. He also, our God, rescues us too through the local church families as well, where we're able to speak truth and love to one another. And he guides us. He also says here that he leads the humble in the way. So the humble, the humble are those who, who come to, to God with a contrite heart. Um, those with empty hands, open hands, 
recognizing that we need to be led. That's the point of this humility, that it's hard to be led when you don't want to be led, right? You're, you're pushing against it. But these are the, he says, those who humbly come, he, he leads and he guides. And it doesn't say here that he leads those who have it all together, right? It says, no, no, those who are sinners, those who are struggling, those who are weak, those who are humble. He doesn't say he, he goes after those who are the best and the brightest, but the humble. And that is totally the picture of Jesus. To give who Jesus went after. He went after sinners. He went after tax collectors who were traitors, really. They were traitors of the Jewish people. And he, he went after tax collectors. He went to widows and the poor and uh, those who had leprosy. Those who were untouchable. He pursued them and went after them. He went after the humble. But even leaders who came with humble hearts. I think of Nicodemus religious leader, Pharisee, who came to Jesus um, with genuine questions about who he was and what he was speaking about. And Jesus spoke and led him. So humble in heart, those who desire to follow after God and his promises and rest in them. And again, the path of the Lord is, is that is full of steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. So we're called... Um, as those who are called into the path of God, where it's one that there's human flourishing in it, not greater brokenness. Sometimes we push against the ways of our God and find ourselves in greater brokenness, but he calls us in to this way that's full of his stubborn, steadfast, no exit plan type love that he pours out upon us in his mercy and his grace and his faithfulness. And he calls us to rest. He's one who wants to lead us. I think of Psalm 23, and last summer we went through Psalm 23, and I kind of wish every summer we could just go through Psalm 23, but you might accuse me of just preaching the same sermon, and that would be what I'd be doing, but I, maybe we'll have to do it again this summer. Psalm 23, I think it's in our slides as well. Let me just read that this morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We covered that last week in the penitent prayer section. Verse 12 through 15, we see instruction on the right attitude as we approach fellowship with our God in prayer, right and reverent fear of our God. It says, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are toward the Lord for he will pluck my feet out of the net. So here, there's this verse where, where David, King David, he calls upon the people of God to come before the Lord in fear, be a people who fear the Lord, whose eyes are always looking toward the Lord God, the one true God, to look to him in reverence and in, in humble dependence, and in, in even trembling and awe and reverent fear. 
And now this fear, it's not, though, it's not terror of God that he's speaking of. He's not speaking of being afraid of God. There's a difference between being afraid of God and having a true, reverent, awe-filled, even knee-trembling awe of God or fear of God. Remember, we've talked about it as the idea of, of falling on our knees, not falling on our knees away from God in terror, but falling on our knees toward God in worship. And this is what he calls the people to. An Old Testament professor, Dr. Gerald Wilson, he says it this way. Fear of Yahweh is an attitude that acknowledges one's absolute dependence on Yahweh for mercy, forgiveness, and continued existence. So speaking of Yahweh, the personal name of God, the Lord. And then also think of Psalm 2, verse 11. This is one of, of several verses that speak of it this way. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Rejoice. Fear. So that it's, it's not a terror. It's not a being afraid of him. Michael Reeves, uh, he recently wrote a book called Rejoice and Tremble, which is a little thicker book than for some of us who read slowly. He wrote even a smaller one where he kind of, he has his own cliff notes of his book, which is wonderful. And I forget the name of that one. It has something about fear of God. Um, but this is a couple quotes from, from those books. Um, it says, for the nature of the living God means that the fear which pleases him is not a groveling, shrinking fear. He is no tyrant. It's an ecstasy of love and joy that senses how overwhelmingly kind and magnificent, good and true God is. And that therefore leans on him in staggering praise and faith. Amen. And then, um, Michael Reeves, then... He also quotes from Charles Spurgeon, a Baptist pastor of many years ago, and he quotes this in speaking about the fear of God. I think it's helpful. Gazing upon the vast expanse of water, look up to the innumerable stars, examine the wing of an insect, and seeing there the matchless skill of God displayed in minute. I stand or stand in a thunderstorm, watching as best you can the flashes of lightning and listening to the thunder of Jehovah's voice, have you not often shrunk into yourself and said, Great God, how terrible art thou! But not afraid, but full of delight, like a child who rejoices to see his father's wealth, his father's wisdom, his father's power, happy and at home, but feeling, oh, so little. Think of that, just standing in that lightning storm. One, one specific time I remember thinking about that. And, and I know speaking about lightning, right, Ryle, if you're an Avs fan, it's maybe, you know, we're hoping we can put that lightning away, but we'll see tonight. So uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry. But um, so um, I was up at Camp Idrahaji. I spoke about that. I've been a counselor and a camp director up there and enjoyed my time up in the mountains. Um, there was one time where I was up at one of the higher places at camp where they have this fort uh, where they have this uh, every week a, a, a tremendous um, water fight between a couple of the camps. So it was late at night. And I was up there. It was on a, maybe it was on a Saturday night where all the campers had gone home and it was dark. You can't see any of the lights from the city. It's just dark. And then there was a thunderstorm, lightning storm miles away and just watching just the thunder just crack through the clouds in the mountains. And just I was in awe of how good our God is, how great he is. 
Michael Reeves, when he speaks about the fear of God, he speaks about how we have, a, uh, we have fear of God as one who is creator of all things, but also one who is redeemer, one who rescued us through Christ. And then also one um, as God as father, before creator, before king, he's father. And for some of us, if you grew up in a home where, where relationships with dad were not great at all, this is a wrestling, but... Our God is a Father who all those longings of our heart that we wished that that Father was, maybe in your life, um, He fully fulfills, and He's a good, gracious God and Father. And we're called to reverent fear of Him. And then verse 15, this is my eyes are ever toward the Lord. There's a call to focus upon the Lord. It's, sometimes, though, we often look inward, and we owe is me, and we shrink away, and we're like, ugh. I, had a, I have to be honest. There were a couple of days this week where I had some woe is me days, and I was shriveling away a little bit of self-pity. Uh, and then I was reminded, even in this studying of this word, to look to Jesus and to call, what, what are the two greatest commandments? Love our God and love others. Those aren't very inward focused, Right? sort of looking, began going on visits, sitting down with some sweet saints this week, and my heart was just filled up and encouraged. I'm reminded to look to Jesus, look to our God, look to our Lord, who's when He can rescue us. Uh, but sometimes we do look inward and we, we shrivel away of self-pity and, and concern when we're called to, to put our gaze to our God and to, to others who are other image bearers that we're called to love and care for. In verses 16 through 18, we have a passionate prayer for the presence of God with His grace and forgiveness to come near. Passionate prayer to God, verse 16 through 18. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. These are some of those verses in the Psalms that I love that bring me back again and again to the Psalms because they're just so real. They're so true. There's no holding back. There's an honesty there, that a rawness. I'm lonely. I'm afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Has anyone felt that before? Yeah, we have. We all walk through that. And here it puts words to them, and we're called to even wrestle in heart. There's a wrestling of heart, a calling out to God for His presence and His rescue, and even His forgiveness. That's just calling out to Him. And I think as we read this, we're reminded that we're not alone. We're not alone as we wrestle through those things. We, here we have King David, the psalmist, who's writing these things to us. We're reminded that even he wrestled and struggled and called for the compassion and the forgiveness of God. And there's just a need, so there's a rawness here. And we walk through times of sorrow and struggle. Just a little bit ago, I, I quoted from Charles Spurgeon, a, a pastor who the Lord used greatly to bring about great revival and great many people to come to Jesus. But Charles Spurgeon was also one who wrestled deeply with depression. And even in the back, I think we have one left. There's a book called Spurgeon's um, Sorrows. It's a really good book that writes on that. But he said these things, and it reminds us we're not alone when we walk through sorrow, when we walk through heaviness, when we have terrors of the night. The road to sorrow has been well trodden. It is, regular, it is a regular sheep track to heaven, and all the flock of God have had to pass along it. 
We've all walked through it. And then, then this one, I love this quote. It, it just brings you in. You might say, oh, I'm not alone. He knows me. He understands me. And we're reminded that we have a God who understands us. We can cry out to him like the psalmist does. And Spurgeon writes, The mind can descend far lower than the body. For in it there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wombs and no more, but the soul can bleed in a thousand ways and die over and over again each hour. The man who understood struggles and depression and sorrow, and we're reminded that we're, we're not alone in that. And we can cry out to our God. And often, I encourage you, even as you're, if you're walking through that now, take the Psalms, begin reading them, and just praying them up to God. Maybe you have no words to pray. May the Psalms give you words to pray to God. But we're not alone. There's a prayer for the Lord just to manifest His presence, and we can pray for that. Lord, show me your grace. Show me your mercy. Show me your forgiveness. May it be at my side. May I not forget that my sins have been removed and forgotten if I've rested in Jesus Christ and been forgiven. And then, verse 19 through 21, a prayer of protection and perseverance rooted, rooted in God. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness uh, preserve me, for I wait for you. So David, he cries out again for God to protect him. Guard my soul, protect me, deliver me. May you be my refuge. We've talked a lot over the last couple years of all the different refuges that we can go to um, that end up being really just temporary momentary refuges that really lead to refuges that are just a pile of bones and not life and and a little bit like me running around my city looking for my phone just like a scattered crazy person we can be a little bit that way but the call to take a refuge in God alone and call to him to rescue us to guard us to protect us to rescue us so there's this call um, that goes out that he calls out to God for deliverance and he also prays that integrity and uprightness might might preserve him and I think of uh, a few weeks back when we were finishing up Ephesians and we're talking about the armor of God and talking about that that taking up that breastplate of righteousness that protection of righteousness and we talk about that righteousness being both that righteousness of Christ, clothing ourselves with, he, he died in our place for our sins and that we are forgiven and we can remember that, but also we're called in Ephesians to walk in holiness, to, to throw off the old self and put on the new and, and walk in a new way, a new holiness in him. And, and when we do that, when we walk according to the way that God has called us, it, it's a good way. It's a way of flourishing. It's not a way of brokenness. And we should lean into those things by his grace to walk in the way that he's called us to. And then again, it says, wait, I wait, for the Lord. Or maybe your translation says, I hope in the Lord. There's a parallel between those words, that waiting and hoping in our God. And remember last week I just mentioned our culture, it values a lot of busyness, productivity, and tangible output, and waiting does not fit very well in that, nor does prayer. But we are called to both of those things in this psalm, to wait upon the Lord and to rest in Him in His time and in His ways, what He is calling us to, even when uh, it seems like rescue is a long way away. So there's a desire to wait upon the, on God, wait for his moving, wait for his direction, wait for his restoration, maybe wait for his open door, 
wait for his, that manna grace. In the Old Testament, when the people wandered in the desert, God provided manna, a bread from heaven, day after day after day. But they were still walking through trial in the desert. But he provided his grace and waiting upon even that manna grace. And then finally, verse 22, redeem Israel, O God, out of all his trouble. So we have this intercessory prayer for the people of God. So David, he's here, he's the king of Israel. And he represents the people of God and he intercedes for the whole nation and calls God to redeem them, to rescue them, to bring them out of their trouble. And as I think about King David interceding for the people, it makes me think of King Jesus who interceded for us, who lived that life that we could not live, fully God and fully man, who interceded for us and died on the cross and even said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he was buried but did not stay in the grave, but rose again victorious. And he's one who says, turn and trust in me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And he's the one who calls us to himself um, first to turn from our sins and kind of our own path and our own way of running around like I was that day in China and coming to the one true God and saying, I need you. I turn from my sins and I trust in Jesus who died for me and rose again victorious. We all have that call to repent and believe and the opportunity to find this life, this gracious path that he calls us to, one that speaks of that steadfast love of our God and his faithfulness that we can rest in when we turn and trust in the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ alone. So we shouldn't go to blind guides that may take us scurrying throughout this life, just from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. May we anchor in on the truth of our God, our God who is our Savior, full of steadfast love and mercy and compassion, who calls us to himself and wait upon him. Even in times where we feel hemmed in by our circumstances, by our relationships, or maybe even hemmed in by God, and know that uh, our God is not unaware. Things are not out of control. He's still working and redeeming and bringing his day-by-day manna grace. And he calls us to, to trust in him and find our hope in him alone. So this morning I call you to that. Let's pray. Dear Father God, I thank you for your kind mercy, your grace, your compassion, your steadfast love. I pray that you would enable us to not be those who frantically run about this life looking for that next hope or that next refuge or that next truth and help us to anchor in on the truth of Jesus Christ.